Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. So it's Stuff You Should Know. Gong. The Chinese edition. (laughs) Right, which probably isn't even heard in China. Aren't we banned? Uh, yeah, we say that, and then we always hear from people like, no, you're not banned, I get to hear you guys all the time. The right. government actually promotes you for being such communist lackeys. They're like, they send a guy to my house uh, to read your transcripts. <laughs> right, <laughs> at gunpoint. Uh, yeah, this is the China edition, and you wrote this too, didn't you? Yep. Is this an old one? Uh, yep. You just dug it out from the old memory banks. Uh, yeah, I've. Uh, it was on the list. I think I just ran across it randomly, and I was like, oh yeah, this one. Pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I think so too. So, um, one of the things that interested me was I did, I got to do like some historical research on it. Yeah. Initially. Are you familiar with the, uh, Sino-Russian conflicts along the border starting in the mid 17th century? The, uh, Romanov czars versus the Manchu and later Ming dynasties? I'm more familiar now than I ever have been. Before in my life. Yeah. Let's put it that way. So. But it did surprise me. I I, I just kind of thought, I don't know. I didn't know much about. Kami heart kami, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what I would have thought too. Yeah. Um, and apparently I did at some point, but no, once I started researching, turns out those guys didn't like each other so much. Yeah. And it, it actually did go back to the 1600s for sure, where um, China apparently didn't trade outside of China. And um, didn't uh, have any diplomats. The emperor controlled all trade with with other countries, and it was through a system of tribute, where like you give the emperor the best stuff you got, and yeah. he'll see what he wants to give you back. Um, and the Russians didn't like that very much, so they just kind of were a little more tense, a little more tense. Not the best of neighbors, but then yeah, after World War II, when um, Russia starts taking over Eurasia. And China follows Soviet suit. Soviet Union, rather. Yeah. Right, thank you. And then China follows suit in 1949 with Mao Zedong's uh, communist revolution. Um, then, yeah, basically this whole area was red. And that's how we were taught to view it, right? Yeah. It's all red, so it's all the same. But that's, that's very much an oversimplification of the geopolitics of that area. Yeah, like you said, commie heart commie, that's kind of what I always thought was that they were neighbors – they were politically aligned in the broadest sense. So they, what, what issues would they have? Right. But as usual. Well, it's like Nancy Reagan said, kill all the commies, like God sort them out. <laughs> you remember that PSA? <laughs> I do. Saturday morning cartoons. Um, as usual, the, the, the beef is in the land and neighbors oftentimes, whether it's a, uh, Georgia and Tennessee fighting over a river, yeah, and its water, real, uh, or it's um, Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of neighbors that say no. That that stuff is ours, not yours. Yeah, and that seems like to be the the heart of the beef between China and Russia. So I think that the the border disputes were actually a symptom of a larger thing, which was which was. So Mao, Chairman Mao, 
used to publicly deride the Soviets as revisionists, that they'd abandoned the roots of revolutionary communism. Like and it were basically sellouts. Interesting. Yeah. And he used to publicly say this stuff about them. And the Russians would be like, we're sick of you, Mal. You're, you're, you talk too much trash. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, and he would talk more trash. Like he criticized, um, Khrushchev for backing down from the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. Stuff like that, right? It's just really like poking them a lot. Sure. And the Soviets, in retaliation, withdrew all military and economic support. Mm -hmm. And then they recalled all of like the scientists that were over there working on joint projects. And the scientists all left with the blueprints to whatever they were working on. Yeah. Even if it was Chinese technology. So there was like a lot of tensions and it seemed to erupt in the border disputes rather than it was over the border disputes. You know what I mean? Sure. So what... We, when we say erupt, we mean erupt with gunfire. Yeah, for real. And then, uh, the spring of 1969, some bad stuff went down. In March specifically, uh, there was an attack on a patrol boat. Um, what was the name of the river? The Us- Usuri River. Mm-hmm. And that's on the Great eastern name. border of China, of course. And, uh, 24 Soviets were left dead. And stuff got real after that. Yeah, the Soviets were like, oh, okay, it's like that. Yeah. So they rolled into the area with tanks. They used missiles, aircraft, and took out like 800 Chinese in retaliation that same year. Yes, only losing about 60 of their own, uh, which was a big victory. And so they said, you see that? There's more where that came from (laughs) if you don't mind your P's and Q's. Yeah, and they were saying this to using the New York Times as this like international mouthpiece, basically... Threatening one another yeah. through the international press. Yeah, China said, what are P's and Q's? <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't have those letters. Right. Well, they have Q's and P's. Well, it's, you know, it's just a joke. I got <laughs> um, So Mao Zedong <laughs> says, uh, I understand that this you're coming after us now. Um, I think we should have a plan in place mm-hmm. because I don't want you... Cr- Creeping into, let's say, Beijing, our capital, mm-hmm. with all your tanks, like you did along the river there. So here's what we'll do. 60% of the population go red dawn and head for the hills. <laughs> uh, the other 40%, um, here's what we'll do. Let's all get to work building an underground uh, bunker, but one that can house 40% of our 7 million. Yeah. Which, which is They didn't much? quite hit that. That number. Was that about 2.8 million? Something like that. Okay. They made enough for 300,000 people. It was not even close. But it's still a pretty neat accomplishment that they created, right? Yeah. And this is um, what would be become known as, do you know how to pronounce it? Is it- exactly like it's spelled. I looked it up. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Dixia Cheng. Okay. I thought that was Chinese for Dixie Chicks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would might have been Disha Chang or something, but yeah. I, I thought so, too. That's why I was like, I'm not getting this one wrong. Okay. Uh, I even yeah. looked it up and I couldn't find it. I found, there's, I don't remember the site, but there's a site where I guess users submit and say what what language they speak natu- naturally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then it'll have like this whole list of like, you know, um, Spanish from uh, Catalonia uh-huh. or um, like Spanish spoken by Mexican uh, person or Scandinavian or whatever. Right. But the, if you listen to all of them, they're all saying it the same way. Yeah. Dixia Chang. It's funny. Some in, people say Shang, but it's wrong. 
in the uh in the office here. I know people think we probably never look up pronunciations, but we do. And uh YouTube has a, a lot of them now, you mm-hmm. know, where they will uh that little thing will spin and reveal the word and then the, the polite lady, computer lady will say it. But uh I hear in the office a lot because it's not worth it to get out the headphones right. for just that. Yeah. So like I'll hear Strickland to the left or Holly over there to the right or uh, me and you'll just hear random computers all day long with like Dixia Chang or <laughs> Menarchy. <laughs> Menarchy. And you just hear words kind of popping up and everyone's like, sorry, sorry. Yeah. But I think we all get it. Yeah. All right. So Dixia Chang. And I mean, we should say we'll get to the to the meat of this stuff. But an underground bunker capable of housing 300,000 of Beijing's residents was built because Chairman Mao got paranoid that the Soviets were going to invade. Also, to a lesser extent, he was worried about American imperialism extending to China. Yeah. But really, he was worried the Soviets were going to either invade or launch some nukes on his people. Um, it was like my dad when we he saw the day right, after. Exactly. Except he just put my brother and I to work, whereas the chairman put, uh, I think it was... 300,000 people? I found that somewhere. 300,000 was how many people it could, it could house. No, I thought, I thought I saw it was 300,000 working. Maybe it was more than that even. No, I see what you're talking about. There's 300,000 right there. But, um, uh, you know, women, children, men, all kinds of people digging by hand. Yeah, we found this really cool, um, blog post from like 2010 by a guy named Anthony Tao, um, or Dow depending on, uh, I guess, how you say it. Um, and he said that well, it was basically like an urban exploration post. There's a lot of pictures of this abandoned stuff. It's really cool. But it turns out his relatives, including his mother, helped build this. So that he includes some of their recollections in it where they're like, um, like, yeah, we used to go to school and then you'd come home from school and you'd work like several hours yeah. building this, like making bricks or digging or something like that. And so this excavation was being carried out by the very people who were going to use it as part of this, um, this cultural revolution, this great communist experiment that Chairman Mao was carrying out. Like everybody just get to work because the Russians might invade. And he said very famously, um, Shenhua Dong, Chang Liang, I'm not saying this correctly, uh, and then Bu Cheng Ba. Which means? It means dig deep tunnels, store food, and prepare for war. He told his population that, and that's what kicked off this thing in 1969. He really liked to get to the point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 1969 to 1979 is when this was going on. And uh, we'll take a little break here. And tell you a little bit about Dixie Chang. You know, everybody, if you're starting your own business, you will find that it can be difficult. But developing your online presence doesn't have to be. That's because Google and Squarespace have teamed up to give small business owners what they need to succeed online. A custom domain, a business email, and a beautiful website all in one place. That's right. With Google and Squarespace, you can stand out, look professional, and increase your team's productivity. When you create your Squarespace business website or online store, you're going to receive a free year of business email and professional tools from Google. It is just that simple. Yep. Go ahead and visit squarespace.com slash Google to start your free trial. And use our offer code WORTS for 10% off your first purchase. Google and Squarespace. 
Make it professional. Make it beautiful. Learning stuff with Joshua and Charles. Stuff you should I think it sounds like I'm saying Chang with an A, but it's Ching. Ching. With an E. I'm just not good at, uh, as a southerner, I'm not good at pronouncing the E in words like pen. I say pen. Pen. Like P-I-N. Ching. Instead of P-E-N. Ching. Yeah, we got it. All right, so this- You you say Dixia, I'll say Chang. (laughs) You say Dixia, I'll say Chang. Chang. Dixia. Chang. (laughs) Terrible. So, uh, what lies underground beneath, uh, about 26 to 60 feet, depending on where you are, there are 18 miles roughly of tunnels. Supposedly it connects every district in the city. Yeah. And for those of us who, uh, don't live in the U.S. or Liberia, that's 30 kilometers of basically underground living space. 52 square miles, 85 kilometers squared. And, um, it was, to call it an undertaking was uh, is an understatement. Ooh. It was a big deal. Right. Requiring lots of hands. Yeah. So they used a lot of the old city gates, um, the city walls as construction material. But again, they were also making their own bricks. And they weren't using like backhoes or anything like that. They were using shovels yeah. and removing dirt with bamboo baskets and making their own bricks on site. Amazing. Um, and they constructed this, this just amazing labyrinth of, of not just tunnels, but also they had bomb shelters in the bomb shelter. Yeah. They had ventilation shafts that were designed to keep out, um, fallout and contamination from nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons. I guess they built the Great Wall. They were like, Pfft. yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> exactly. Um, they had, uh, recreational stuff too, like a movie theater, I think a roller skating rink, basketball courts. Yeah. They had a barber shop. They had restaurants. Um, they had, uh, if you wanted to get down in here, this is kind of the coolest part to me is there were about 90 different entrances, um, around the city that were sometimes in parks, sometimes in a private home, sometimes in a shop that mm-hmm. you needed a, a black light to read a special map on the wall. Right. It's like kind of neat when you think about it like that. Oh, yeah, it is. It's like uh, all the residents of Beijing are clued into this this big secret. Yeah. You know, like this official secret. Yeah, it is like a speakeasy. Except those places. Come on. Didn't that kind of, hadn't that run its course? Uh, Yeah. Like they just opened one in Atlanta right here next door to us. Where? At the city winery. Oh, really? There's a speakeasy there? Yeah, now there's a speakeasy downstairs. And if you know the code word, you say it at the unmarked door. What's the code word? I'm like, man, New York did this 20 years ago. What's the code word? This week? Yeah. Uh, I actually wrote it down because I'm going to a show there tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> they have shows at the speakeasy? Well, no, at the city winery. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to see Blitz and Trapper, my boys. Oh, really? Wow. Um, yeah, they're doing like this acoustic storyteller tour. Nice. It's kind of neat. Yeah, apparently if you go there and you say, you know, Miss Violet this week, they'll let you in. Oh, right. <laughs> So I'm going to go down there and make fun of them. <laughs> and probably get a drink. Sure. And leave a big tip. Yeah. Well, that's what you got to do. That's right. You're going to go there and it's going to be overrun with people. I just wonder if you go to one of these places, especially in Atlanta, like I get it in New York when there's supply and demand, they right. can literally say, no, turn around and go home. Yeah. But- in Atlanta, I would be like, dude, come on. I don't know the password. Just let me in the freaking building. Right. 
And if they literally say no, then they're dead to me. In fact, I'm, the, I'm, I'm not even going to say I know Miss Violet. Oh, yeah, you're going to test them, huh? I'm going to say I know Miss Scarlet. Let me know how that pans out. <laughs> well, Miss Scarlet. I'll send you a text of okay. either me sitting on the sidewalk, drinkless. Drinking, <laughs> drinking a 40. Uh, yes. It's a substitute. I used to drink the occasional 40 in sure. college back when you thought you were cool to do so. Right. Because the Beastie Boys did it? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'll drink this swill. Right. And it's totally hot after about the first, like, ten minutes. Well, you have to hold it up around the neck. Oh, is that the deal? Sure. Oh, okay. It's like champagne. I was. I never got to the bottom because I was pouring some out for my homies. Oh, well. That's pretty thoughtful of you. So where were we? Speakeasies. That's right. Uh, no, even further back than that. Well, yeah, the, this, the, the complex, and by the way, Dixie Chang literally means underground city. Yeah, like that's it. You don't even capitalize it. Yeah, it was never used because, um, the, the big apocalypse never happened. Well, not only that, Chairman Mao died, and apparently, I didn't know this, but shortly after he died, I think in the, uh, 70s, um, his cultural revolution seems to have died with him, which was news to me because I thought that China was communist to the core up until a couple of years ago. But apparently there was a, a real opening of their culture, um, like starting pretty much and slowly and incrementally right after Chairman Mao's death. Um, and so I saw a bunch of different stuff. This is part of the problem with researching China without ever going to China. Sure. Because, like, the dispatches you read from the place are, you know, they, they just vary wildly in the, the accounts. Yeah. And this is a good example of that. I saw somewhere that um, uh, they – so Chairman Mao died in 1976. I saw that by 1981, they had the place open for tours. Right. And it cost like 10 Chinese cents a, a ticket. And that you, if you were Chinese, you could not even get in. It was only for tourists. Right. I saw in my own article that they boarded up and forgot about it. And it wasn't until like 2000 that people like started to find their way in. I had the same problem. I was trying to find out like literally the current state mm -hmm. because I saw that in 2008, uh, in preparation for the Olympics, they closed it for renovations and it's still not open. Um, and I, I've tried to find out like the most recent information I couldn't. So I'm going with not even myself. I'm not even going with my own article. Okay. The article where they recounted that it was 10 Chinese cents, uh, a ticket to get in, uh, back in 1981. I'm thinking that's probably right. So you're going with that because it has numbers in it. Right. <laughs> it seems legitimate. All right. Well, let's take our final break here and we'll come back and talk a little bit about the rat tribe of Beijing. So, Chuck, um, one of the first things that happened, whether it was in 1981 or 2000, was people started to move into this area illegally. And at first, I get the impression that they they opened up businesses, and there was actually like an official stretch, a, like about a one-kilometer stretch of Dixie Chang that was open for tours. Like underground Atlanta? Yes. 
But then the other like 29 kilometers were closed off permanently and frozen in time, right? Yeah. Well, that kind of stuff attracts people like moths to a flame, especially sure. like urban explorers. Um, and again, go check out Anthony Tao's post, Last Visit to Beijing's Underground City. It's got some great photos of this abandoned stuff. But over the years, there are people who have, you know, worked their way into like the other shut off 29 kilometers and have reported back that it's just like eerie. A time capsule. There's like posters of Chairman Mao on the walls with um, slogans like "Dig the tunnels deep, accumulate grain, oppose hegemony." Yeah, it's I mean you can catchy. see the pictures of it. It's pretty neat, right? And um, creepy. And then get this: if you were, let's say, like um, Ronald Reagan had told us all this when we were kids, for the people, prepare for war, prepare for famine. <laughs> it's kind of unsettling when they keep you on your toes. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of it that's like just. This kind of rotting time capsule, because again, like you said, it was never used. But then plenty of it has been used. Yeah, and that—that's I couldn't even figure out for sure. These are definitely parts of that complex. Yes, where people are living. Yes. Okay, I didn't know if it was other. Oh no, bomb it's, shelters. It's both. Or, okay, it's both. Gotcha. You're right. It's both. All right. So what we're talking about are, is the rat tribe or the Shuzu. Uh, and it's basically about a million people, uh, they don't know exact numbers, but about a million people in Beijing have moved underground. Um, about a million of the 21 million people who live there. Yeah, and if, if you talk about a population boom, in 1995 there were about 9 million people in Beijing, now there are 21 million. Um, that's a lot of people in not a very long span of time. Right. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's expensive, um, to, I, uh, I really don't know that, like median incomes compared to housing, but this article made it seem like the only reason these people are doing it is because they can't afford to live above ground or right. that there's just such a shortage. Like uh, your, your choice is this. You can live above ground in a dorm like room with six to 10 people in the suburbs and pay about what you would pay for your own room below ground, which is about. 50 to 70 American dollars a month. Right. So you want to go live with six to 10 people in a dorm out in the suburbs, or you want your own cozy little eight foot by eight foot concrete room underground. And a lot of people are saying, I'd rather be underground. Yeah. And they're normal people. They're not, um, it's not like a situation like, uh, I'm trying to think of something comparable, but, the, this woman interviewed a lot of these people, uh, Annette Kim from USC, uh, Southern California, uh, go Trojans for our friend Brian Bishop. Oh yeah, congratulations to Brian on the birth of his child. Yeah, that too. So what she found out was that, as she suspected, these are computer programmers and waiters and waitresses and, uh, barbers and they are literally just Mainly migrants that have come there from the countryside to work, right? And they're not weirdos. They just—they're like, you know, this is what I can afford. I have a job uh, above ground, and uh, this is just what I, how I choose to live because yeah. we don't have a lot of options. So the, there's like a, the specter of Mao is still around because apparently part of the um, the housing code in China or in Beijing at least requires that if you are going to build like a, a building, you have to build something between one to three stories of basement or um, bomb shelter 
uh-huh. below ground. That's still the, the thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, in addition to people squatting in Dixie Chang, which does happen, yeah. these people are going to the owners of the building and saying, can I please stay here? I'll give you 70 bucks a month. Yeah, and they're like, sure. And even though it's illegal, yeah, the owners are like, yeah, just leave it, leave it under the trash can out front and I'll come find it. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not using that tiny room. Right. Uh, because these are, you know, small spaces. They're communal toilets uh, and showers. You got to pay like 50 cents for a shower for five minutes. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, there's this um, photographer, uh, Sim Chi Yen, uh, based in Beijing, and he has a collection called China's Rat Tribe, if you want to look at pictures. And, um, you know, it's not uh, – there's a stigma to it, first of all, A, because sure. it's illegal. They call them the Rat Tribe. And B, yeah, because, you know, they they interviewed some of these people, and the guy was like, yeah, my dad was like, son, no, you can't, you can't live down here. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, this is what I can afford. I've got a job. And I don't want to live with 10 people in a room. Right. And there's no windows. It's dark. Uh, apparently, there's signs in some of these tunnels that advise people to go up and get sun. Oh, is that and right? Stuff like that. That's yeah. That's thoughtful. Sure. Um, I think one of the other reasons, too, why they're considered like the rat tribe is in a lot of the cases, they're living beneath um, fairly tony apartment buildings. Sure. So the people above ground, there's like a huge class difference in the same like sprout of yeah. of living space in Beijing. Yeah. And the people above ground are not in contact with the people below ground and they do not trust them. They're weird, they're different, they're poor, they're from the country. Yeah. Um so they don't they don't communicate with one another, but they know they're there, so the people above ground are very suspicious of the people below ground. Hmm. Yeah. Apparently mold is a problem. Yeah. Because it's, you know, underground, it's kind of dank. Right. So they have to work to keep mold at bay. And I don't think we mentioned that the original plan, too, with uh, Chairman Mao was to grow things like mushrooms, like things you didn't need the sun right. to grow down there. Which is Do you know smart. how fast you would get sick of eating mushrooms if that's all you had to eat? If it was me, it would be one bite of mushroom later. Oh, you don't like mushrooms, huh? Can't do it. What if you put soy sauce and mayonnaise on it? I mean, I could choke it down, but it's a texture thing for me. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not even the taste. What about uncooked? Raw? Uh, it's almost got like a, a bit of a crunch to it. I'll try one. Yeah, yeah. Try like a white button mushroom. A little salt. Like lick it first. Put a little salt on it. Yeah. Take a bite. It's yeah, not like the mushroom you're describing. It's that, that slimy texture. It doesn't have that. <sighs> Although, wash it off first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a good scrub. Yeah. With your tongue. I'll, I'll bring you one. I'll bring uh, you one right. to work. I can, I can. I actually, I have one here in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Pocket you, mushrooms, no. Right. You got anything else? Uh, no. Do you? No. Oh, I do have one other thing. Um, so there were long time, there were long standing rumors that they had built like secret tunnels in this underground bunker, uh-huh. the Dixie of Chang, um, that connected to like the People's Hall and other government buildings. Yeah. And no one knew if it was real or not until 1989 when the Tiananmen Square uprising happened and all of a sudden all these government troops come out of nowhere flooding out of the People's Hall to quell these protesters. They're like, oh, those underground tunnels really are real. Yeah, and apparently there's only, out of the 90 original entrances, there's only a handful of those left. Yeah, because the, the, um, 
the area where this was built beneath is the called Kien Mien, I believe, or uh-huh. Kin Kin Mien. Um and it's a very famous stretch of like shops uh in Beijing. And it's been just recreated and rebuilt so much, especially since right before the Olympics. Yeah. That a lot of these old shops are being leveled and there there too go the, the entrances to the places and the fluorescent maps. Yep. So it is in, in danger of being lost, but it'll still be there. For people to go find. Yeah, go check out the pictures. Pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about Beijing, type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. See what comes up. Press your luck. And as I said, press your luck. It's time for listener mail. Uh, this is about the mining episode, so it's been a bit. But um, we always like good information. So here it is. I've been listening to your show for about a year now. been blissfully enlightened on so many topics. Uh, currently pursuing my master's degree in economic geology. Whoa. Whoa. Uh, In the unlikely state of Iowa, and I have a few uh, friendly clarifications. On your mining episode, you mentioned hard and soft rock mining, and we're unsure of the difference between the two, whether it comes for the rock or the ore. Uh, The term soft and hard rock mining relates to the hardness of the rock from which the ore is being extracted, not the ore itself. So that clears that up. Good. I think that's what I said. I don't remember. Actually, I think I hedged and said it could be either one. Yeah, so I was right right either way. <laughs> uh, so soft rock mining typically pertains to sedimentary rock, whereas hard rock typically pertains to uh, igneous or metamorphic rocks. Furthermore, just finished your wonderful episode on Ice Ages and giggled a little from your pronunciation of Lois. I was always told it was pronounced Lus. And even though Lois is a bit more fun to say, just thought I'd let you guys know. Uh, keep up the amazing work. Thanks for making my ears happy. And Megan, that is exactly how you send in corrections, in a very nice, friendly way. And that's how you get on the air. Right, exactly. And we we love our corrections. Uh, and we tend to favor the ones that are hospitable. Sure. Because it's just nice in life. Right. Thanks, Megan. Thank you for the demonstration. Top notch. If you want to get in touch with us, too, uh, and possibly get complimented by Chuck... You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant or Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 